Good morning, everyone. Today is our first Sunday of canceled church services because, of course, of the coronavirus that arrived in the United States weeks ago. And now is also sadly in the city of Amarillo. Here at Evangelical Fellowship, we've prayerfully decided to first follow our civil authorities and practice the suggested extensive social distancing strategy to flatten out the spread of this aggressive virus. We also hope, secondly, to love our neighbors by not inadvertently being party to spreading it without knowing it. So, we've canceled our services and gatherings eagerly looking forward to the day when we can gather again as the body of Christ to worship and serve him together. In the meantime, I think all of us are learning to trust the Lord in many different ways that we're not used to, which can be a very difficult but a precious time of growth. One of the ways we hope to encourage one another is by providing these audio sermons online before each Sunday morning so that we can continue to hear from God's Word, hopefully even at the same time. We start today by continuing our journey through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 through 19. Let's open with a word of prayer. O Lord God, we find ourselves in very changing circumstances and unknown to a great degree, but we know you know. And while we desire so much to be back together, to worship you together. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. We pray that you'd use it in the ways that you desire. You know what we need, and we pray that you would apply your truth to our hearts. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Last week, in the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 15, we saw how the Apostle Paul started to address the problem in which some of the Corinthians were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. That was in verse 12. And that statement in verse 12 actually comes in today's passage after the verses that we went over last week, which were verses 1 through 11. What is revealed to us this week in verses 12 through 19 is that the main issue Paul had to deal with was not that some of the Corinthians denied that Jesus bodily rose, but rather that some of the Corinthians were denying that Jesus' followers would be physically or bodily raised from the dead. In order to deal with such a dangerous notion, Paul, as we saw last week, first had to reestablish that Jesus' resurrection was a physical, bodily resurrection, 
Paul reestablished this vital truth by listing many of the people that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead in his resurrected body. Most of these people were still alive as Paul wrote this letter, which he notes. And that list is in verses 5 through 8. They saw him, they recognized him, heard him speak, showed them his hands and feet, touched him, ate with him. Jesus told them after he rose, Luke records in chapter 24, verses 39 and 42, Jesus said, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So it looks like from the text last week, in verses 3 through 11, that Paul was reestablishing what had already been delivered and taught, and, as he says, believed by these people. In other words, they believed Jesus rose from the dead, and recognized he had a resurrected body. How does Paul deal with the main issue? That some of the Corinthians were denying that Jesus' followers would be physically or bodily raised from the dead. Well, the second thing that Paul needed to establish had to stand on or come from the first thing he had to establish. So because Jesus first rose from the dead in a resurrected body, second, the Christian who is in Christ and who dies will also be raised with a resurrected body. Let's read the text. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19, as I read from the English Standard Version. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wish I could have heard You all say that as well. Because of the cultural context of the Corinthian believers' pagan past, we need to remind ourselves how what Paul says here addressed their thinking 
What Paul was tackling was some of the Corinthians thinking wrongly about death and the afterlife. They needed some more instruction and explanation to bring them back to the truth. Once again, some of these people were going back to previous pagan Greek beliefs. How? By believing that when someone died, they became a disembodied spirit. In other words, the body was just seen as the evil prison house that the pure soul would be liberated from at death. Some Corinthians couldn't get their heads around the idea that their bodies would be resurrected, just like Jesus's had been. This wrong belief also meant that the biblical view of death being the consequence of Adam's sin or rebellion against God was also not seen clearly or really understood by some of those Corinthians. In other words, their pagan background was clouding the truth that it was not Adam's body that caused sin. It was Adam himself, his person, heart, soul, spirit, that became sinful. Scripture teaches that from then on, every human would be born with a sinful nature inside, passed down to all of us from the first human created. In other words, the very nature of who we are as human beings is basically sinful. That means every human being has a desperate eternal problem. All pagan worldviews deal with what's painfully obvious about our sinful nature, either by creating systems that promise reward for keeping a list of behavioral norms, or by relegating our real problem of sin to some external force or forces that we're really not responsible for. Well, we need to ask ourselves to make sure we're getting this straight, which one of those systems dominated Corinth's pagan Greek society. The Corinthian believers should know that there is no need for a savior to deliver us from our sin if our sin is seen only being the material body in which the real us lives. In other words, some of them are saying something like, it's this body of mine that makes me sin and holds my pure spirit and good intentions captive as a prisoner. This pagan system then has relegated the real problem of sin not to us, but to our material, physical body. That, you see, makes it possible to believe that the part of them that goes on is their pure spirit, which is set free at death from their evil, material, physical body. We know, and Scripture teaches us, that the real problem is the evil sin nature everyone has that's in our real selves.
Hopefully we can better see now what Paul has done. As stated earlier, Paul first had to reestablish that Jesus' resurrection was a resurrection of his body, which he did by listing many of the people that he appeared to after he rose from the dead in his resurrected body. In verse 11, if we look back, we see that they did believe this. Paul said, and so we preach, and so you believed. That whole paragraph last week was about the truth of Jesus' bodily resurrection. We made it sort of general in, in a question, but these people knew already this truth. Now Paul is still dealing with the fact that some of the Corinthians were denying not that Jesus rose bodily from the dead, but denying that his followers would be physically or bodily raised from the dead. They were also holding on to the pagan idea that their material bodies, which were obviously susceptible to sickness, death, and eventual decay, could never live eternally. Paul explains later in detail in verses 35 through 58, the last half of this chapter, that God will change the body of believers to make them immortal. But that's later. Now in our passage today, verses 12 through 19, Paul first shows their inconsistency by asking in verse 12 how they can proclaim Christ as raised from the dead and then deny the resurrection of the dead. And then he turns it around a little bit and emphasizes three more times that those who deny the physical and bodily resurrection of believers also deny the bodily resurrection of Christ, even if they claim the latter is true. In verse 13, we read, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Then in the second half of verse 15, we read that God did not raise Christ if it is true that the dead are not raised. And in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Now in verses 14 and 15, and then in 17, 18, and 19, Paul identifies vital parts of the Christian life that simply would not exist or disappear or be completely useless, vain, futile, even a great sin, if Christ has not been raised. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith 
is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. In verse 19, if in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The big question behind all of this is what did Jesus' resurrection prove and accomplish? In these verses today, it's painfully obvious that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Again, he says, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished and we are of all people most to be pitied because our hope is based in nothing that is true. In other words, everything that we believe about Christ, the Bible, the Christian faith, is a fraud. In fact, we are without hope and hopeless, just like everybody else. But if he did rise from the dead, then the opposite of those verses we just went over is true. A sermon from the Word is meaningful and used by God to open eyes and teach and encourage and point out sin and reveal God and give the bigger picture of why we live and who we really are in Christ and the church, etc., etc. Your faith is genuine and true because the object of your faith is the risen Lord himself. Our activities and callings and interactions with one another are purposeful and glorify God. Our sins really have been forgiven. We really are in Christ. We will be able to stand before God Almighty, clothed in the righteousness of the one who redeemed us. Believers who die really do end up living in the presence of God forever with a resurrected body. Our hope in Christ really is based on him, his person and work on the cross and resurrection. The fact that Jesus did rise again does mean that each and every Christian will receive a resurrection body when that new body is joined with our eternal spirit in Christ's presence on the day of resurrection, when Jesus winds everything up at the end. It also completes the answer to why Jesus had to die in the first place. We already know it proves he was God in human flesh as he came to us. It also delivers God the Father's verdict that his son's mission on earth 
to do what was necessary to purchase a people for himself was completely and perfectly accomplished. Jesus came to us because we simply cannot save ourselves. We cannot live a good enough life to avoid eternal condemnation. Our sin demands punishment from the holy God who created us. The only way anyone has ever been saved or will be saved is by Jesus. Because of his sinless life, which allowed him to pay for our sin by dying in our place on the cross. What he proved, what proved his sacrifice on our behalf was acceptable to God was his resurrection. His death was demanded because of taking our sin upon himself. He had no personal sin. His resurrection proved that his sacrifice for us was acceptable to God Almighty. Our debt has been paid in full. His own righteousness and divinity could not be bound and defeated by death. We glory in our Redeemer because we don't merit or deserve any of God's grace to us. He chose to save us. Just the fact that he saves many when every person in history justly deserves eternal condemnation is a glorious display of his love and grace. You and I deserve condemnation and eternal separation from God too. Yet for his own reasons and purposes, he chose to make us alive in Christ so that we could believe in Jesus. This should make and keep us humble and dependent and truly hopeful. We now know what this life is really all about. May each of us grow during what we all agree is a very strange time. May we grow in our love for dependence, independence upon him, and our love for one another. Our closing prayer today is from Psalm 16, adapted a little bit. But also, please don't forget to make use of the links to a couple of songs provided by our brother James. From Psalm 16. Preserve us, O God, for in you we take refuge. We say to the Lord, you are our Lord. We have no good apart from you. The Lord is our chosen portion in our cup. You hold our lot. We bless the Lord who gives us counsel. In the night also, our hearts instruct us. 
We have set the Lord always before us because he is at our right hand and we shall not be shaken. Therefore, our hearts are glad and our whole beings rejoice. Our flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon our souls to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to us the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. O oh God, we love you. We want to live for your glory by your strength in this strange time that we find ourselves in now. Keep our perspectives ever enlarging with the truth of your word. Make our ways to connect, talk, see each other by FaceTime or some other means with all these restrictions. We pray that you'd make the times that we do get to communicate somehow very, very special so that we would continue to realize how much we miss being together as the body of Christ. Oh Lord, we trust you. We know you have us in your hands. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. May each of you be blessed as you walk with the Lord. Know that you're not really alone as each of us may think. We love you. Thanks.